My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking about what it means to have the anointing of the Spirit of God on our lives. Now, that word anointing may be a word that you're familiar with, or maybe you've always wondered, well, what is the anointing? What does that mean? How can I get it? And what difference will it make? Well, to say that a person is anointed with the Spirit of God simply means that that person is filled by the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit of God is controlling that person's thoughts and words and conversations and actions and behavior. And also it means that when we have the anointing of God, not only is the Holy Spirit controlling us and filling us from the inside, but also He makes a difference on the outside. It's like being covered over with a sheet. If you were to put a sheet over or a blanket over your friend, you wouldn't really be able to see your friend. You would just be able to see that blanket. Well, when a person is filled or anointed with the Spirit of God, we can't see that person as much. In other words, that person is not drawing attention to him or herself. That person is drawing attention to the Holy Spirit. That's who is being seen in that person's life. And so when that happens, it changes our ministry. We minister in the power of the Holy Spirit instead of the flesh. It changes our conversations. It does. When a person is filled with the Spirit and covered over by the Spirit, our conversations become much more loving and kind and redemptive and forgiving. And as we're going to see today, when a person is filled with the Spirit of God, it even shows up on that person's face, on our countenance. When the Holy Spirit, like a blanket or like a sheep, just covers us over, even our facial expressions are different. And so I'm praying that today's sermon will be a real blessing to you. If you have your Bible, open it to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be studying today about the life of Stephen. And then the third characteristic that we see where this anointing shows up, it showed up in Stephen's life, and that is in our countenance, in our very countenance, our disposition. I could have said it shows up on our faces. You should, people should be able to tell that you're saved by looking at you. And if, if they can't tell that you're saved, they, they, they should at least be able to tell that you are a loving person and a kind person by looking at you. Now, look in verse 15 of this sixth chapter of Acts. Now, after Stephen had said what he had to say to this group that was trying to set him up uh, and get him, in fact, they were falsely accusing him and all these things, but look in verse 15. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. And so he was being interrogated. They were falsely accusing him. They were trying to get him, and they did eventually find him guilty of blasphemy. It was bogus. It was false. But he ended up being stoned. I mean, they did the same thing to him in that respect that they did to Jesus. These were all false charges. And yet as all this is happening, it says, All who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. John MacArthur describes Stephen's face and an angelic face like this. He said it is pure, calm, unruffled composure. I wonder how many of us went the last seven days with unruffled composure. 
Maybe I should this way. I wonder how many times our composure got ruffled last week. Well, it happens to us. It happens to me sometimes. But when it, ha- when it happens, it just means in that moment, we do not have the special presence of God on and in us like, like we should have. Unruffled composure, reflecting the presence of God. See, that, your face, your countenance, your demeanor should do that. It should reflect the presence of God. That doesn't mean you have to go around smiling all the time. That wouldn't even be real. That would hurt after a while if you just smiled all the time. It doesn't mean that you, that you fake it. It doesn't mean that you try to work that up. It just means whether you're smiling or having a more serious expression on your face, it doesn't even matter. It just means there's something about your presence. Now, listen to how MacArthur described this. That reflects purity, calmness, unruffled composure, and the very presence of God. So that, now I'll tell you one way you can know if you're that type of person, is do people seem to be drawn to you or repelled by you? When people see you, do they come up or do they run away? One of the reasons that I know Jesus, of course Jesus was perfect in every way, and it says even in the Gospel of Luke, He was full of the Spirit. I mean, He had the Spirit of God on and in Him too. Of course, Jesus is God. He had everything going for Him. But one of the ways I know that Jesus had a pleasant disposition is because children were always running up to him. And kids don't do that if you don't have a pleasant disposition. So Jesus had that, and we should have that too. Pure, calm, unruffled composure reflecting the presence of God. Now, you still listening? Say amen. All that to ask this question. What was the secret of this anointing? How did Stephen have that? I mean, not, not every Christian living at this, in this day had that. How did he have it? What was his secret? Well, I believe we get the answer to that question back in chapter 7. So go back and find verse number 54. And I want to show you something in this passage of Scripture tonight that I read last week, not looking for a sermon, had no intention on preaching about Stephen tonight. I was reading my daily devotional by R.T. Kendall. And I have said before, it is the best devotional book I've ever found in my life. It's called By Love Transformed. The best thing you could do would be to go online and order you a copy of that if you can find it. By Love Transformed by R.T. Kendall. And in one of his devotions last week, he, he was talking about the anointing of the Spirit. And he made a passing comment about Stephen that got my attention. He said, the secret, let me give you the answer before I show you the passage. The secret to Stephen's special anointing was that his heart was free of bitterness and unforgiveness. Now, just let that sink in your mind. Stephen had a special anointing. There's no question about that. He became the first martyr of the church. We're about to read this. But the secret to this special anointing was his heart, the condition of his heart. He was was free of unforgiveness, and he was free of bitterness. Now, I want to read you a passage of Scripture tonight, even before we get into this about uh, Stephen. Write this reference down. Ephesians chapter 4 
and verse number 30. You talk about practical. Listen to this. Ephesians 4, verses 30 through 32. The Bible says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That word grieve literally means to make sad, to distress. We don't... (laughs) We don't ever want to do anything that would make the Holy Spirit sad or to bring grief or distress or sorrow to the Holy Spirit. And yet sometimes we, we have we certainly all done that. By whom you were sealed from the day, on the, for the day of redemption. Now listen to the next verse. Paul now is telling us how not to grieve the Spirit. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking put away from you with all malice. So notice what he said. In in verse 30, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In verse 31, he tells us how not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Get all that junk, all that bitterness, all that unforgiveness, all that anger. You've got to get that out of your heart. And then in verse 32, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so the Bible is saying The way not to grieve the Holy Spirit is to have a heart free from bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness. So think about this. If you have in your heart unforgiveness, a grudge, bitterness, anger towards another human being, you are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And if you are grieving the Holy Spirit of God, you're you're causing distress to the Spirit of God. That means you do not have the special anointing of God on and in your life because you've grieved the Spirit of God. And so that means all these things that I'm talking about tonight that a person who has the special anointing can expect to experience, you're not going to experience any of it. There'll be no effectiveness in your ministry, or very little. Conversations will not be all that they should be. They'll be more combative than they will be loving. And your countenance won't be any different than anybody else's countenance. And the same is true for me. If in my heart there is an unforgiving spirit, a grudge, bitterness, anger towards another living soul, I have grieved the Spirit of God. And in so doing, I have forfeited myself the special anointing of God, the special presence of God on and in my life. And so if we want to have that, we've got to be free of all those negative and terrible emotions. Now, what R.T. Kendall said was this, the reason that Stephen was so full of the Spirit is because his heart was so free of all that junk so that the Holy Spirit in Stephen's heart and life had perfect freedom. There was no blockage, you know, Sometimes a person goes in for an open heart surgery, a triple or quadruple bypass. Why? Because there was a blockage in one of the main arteries. And so they have to bypass that artery and get the blood to the heart another way. Well, the same thing can happen spiritually. Spiritually, there can be a blockage in our relationship with God. And that blockage many times is is caused by bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness. And when there's a blockage, the Spirit of God doesn't have the same freedom to flow in us and to be on us and to work through us and so what do we do we pray God please fill me with the spirit well there's nothing wrong with praying that I pray it every morning we should pray for that but friend you could pray to be filled with the spirit all day long if you have bitterness in your heart you will not be filled with the spirit because a person who is grieving the spirit cannot possibly at the same time be filled with the spirit 
And Stephen, the secret to his special anointing was that his heart was free of that. Now, with that said, look in verse 54 of Acts chapter 7. When they heard these things, that is, when they heard everything that Stephen had to say, they were cut to the heart. Literally, they were furious. Why? They did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full, covered over by, influenced by the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He wasn't looking at these people who were about to stone him. He was looking up into heaven. And he saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, if you know anything about the New Testament, you know that when Jesus returned to heaven after the ascension in Hebrews, we read in chapter number 1 that he sat down at the right hand of the Father. That's the position Jesus is in tonight. He is seated at the Father's right hand. But on this occasion, as Stephen was about to be stoned, in his honor, Jesus stood for him. How would you like to be so filled with the Spirit of God that Jesus stood in your honor? Now, that's, that's a thought. Look in verse 56. And said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's, of course, Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. But he's consenting to Stephen's death. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So we've already read multiple times. He was filled with all of the spirit. He's filled with faith. And here at the end of his life, he's exhibiting that faith. He's committing himself to Christ. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then in verse 60, then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice. Now, here's what Dr. Kendall was on to. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said that, he fell asleep, or literally he died. And so as Stephen was being stoned, what do we find in his heart? I'll tell you exactly what we find. Love, forgiveness, zero bitterness, Zero animosity. Most of us, if we would have been Stephen, would probably have, been, quote, have probably been saying to God, God, you know Jesus said that you could have sent all those legions of angels and he didn't opt for you to send them. I'm asking you to send them now and zap all these people who are trying to stone me. Or if we wouldn't have done that, maybe we would have done this to God. You know, sometimes so we won't act like we're asking God to zap somebody or do anything like that. We wouldn't want to pray for God to do something with him. Or sometimes we'll just say this to God. Or you, you may have thought it. God, the Bible says vengeance is yours. I'm going to just sit back and watch you take it out on him. I mean, he could have quoted that verse. It's in the Bible. Vengeance is yours, God. You see what they're doing. I'm not retaliating, but I wish you would. No, he didn't do that. Stephen said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Total forgiveness in his heart. Now, every one of us here tonight, along with every human being on the face of this earth, it's not just us, it's everybody, has at some time in our lives been hurt, offended, 
or something has happened with another human being. Everybody's been hurt. And when that happens to any of us, we have two choices. We have one of two choices. Choice one, hold on to it, get even, take it to our grave. I heard somebody say not long ago, I forgive, but I never forget. I forgive them for what they've done, but I never forget their names. Well, that's not even forgiveness. That's just, I don't know what that, that's just, that's just another way to say I hate that person. I'm going to hold on to that for the rest of my life. If we do that, we have grieved the Spirit. We have a spiritual blockage, and we're going to pay the price for it. And so is everybody around us. But if we choose to forgive, then we are free. Of, uh, we don't have any unforgiveness because we have forgiven them. And we're free of bitterness and anger and all that stuff. And then we are not grieving the Spirit. We're walking in the ungrieved Spirit. There's no blockage between us and God. Our lives are right. The Spirit is not only in us, but the Spirit is on us. We are covered over by Him. We are influenced by Him. But I want to say two things in closing tonight about forgiveness. Because this sermon, what I'm talking about tonight, is probably the most practical topic that anybody could ever preach on. What's in our heart towards other people? If you want tonight to forgive, I'm going to tell you two things involved in forgiveness. And then I'm going to tell you what I have, not that I have mastered it, because sometimes I struggle with it. Friend, I believe that forgiving other people unconditionally and really meaning it, not just saying it, but really meaning it, may be the hardest thing God ever asked us to do in the Christian life. Now, there may be something else harder, but I, right now I can't think of anything much harder than unconditional forgiveness. Because by that I mean, God, I forgive them. I let them off the hook. I ask you to forgive them. I ask you to let them off the hook. I ask you to bless them just like I ask you to bless me. I don't ask you to bless me any more than I ask you to bless them. Now, there are two things you say, I'd like to get to that point, but I never have been able to maybe do it. There are two things. Number one, forgiveness is an act of the will. It is a decision. It's not something you do because you feel like it. You'll never feel like it. It is something that you do as an act of the will. Whether you're on your knees or in your chair or standing straight up, you say to God, God, you hear what they said about me. You saw what they did to me. You saw this whole situation, God. You know it. And just be honest with God and say, God, as a human being, even as a Christian, I'm having a hard time with it. But God, you have forgiven me. I'm forgiving them, and I'm asking you to forgive them. So the first thing I would say, it is an act of the will. The second thing I would say, if it's real and genuine, if, you, if you're playing games with it, you won't like this, but if you're serious about it, that type of forgiveness is between you and God alone. You don't go to that other person and say, I just want you to know that I have forgiven you. Because did you know 95% of the time, they don't even know that you have anything to forgive them of. And all you're going to do is pick a fight. And they're going to say, what did you forgive me of? I ain't done anything to you. I'm the one who should be forgiving you, you sorry rascal. And then you got it all over again. <laughs> so you don't, you don't say, don't anybody come up to me after the service and say, John, I want you to know 15 years ago, you said something in a sermon, rubbed me the wrong way. I've been holding, I forgive you. And I'm going to say, you weren't listening to the end of my sermon tonight. It's between you and God. 
You don't tell that person, and you don't tell somebody else. You don't go to your circle of friends. Now, you can tell your spouse, but you don't go to your circle of friends and say, well, you know, they've hurt me, and they've said these things about my family, and they've done this, but I tell you, I forgave them. It's not real. I I can't say it's not real. Only God knows whether it's real. I would question that that type of, where that attitude reflects genuine forgiveness, because then, see, if you say that, you're still wanting somebody else to know what they did, so there's still vengeance coming out of you. Whereas if you have forgiven them, you don't care if anybody knows. In fact, if you've truly forgiven them, you hope nobody else knows what they did or what they said, because that's how God has forgiven us. God doesn't go up to the angels in heaven and say, hey, angels, come over here. Hey, you cherubim. Hey, you seraphim. I just want you all to know I have forgiven John Redmond for all his sins. And by the way, let me tell you what some of them were. <laughs> the angels would blush. I'd say, what did he do? No, God forgives and that's it. We have to be the same way. So it's, it's, it's an act of the will. It's between us and God. It has to end there. Let me give you one more thing before I make the final statement. It is motivated by God's forgiveness of us. I mean, freely you have received, freely give. And so it's motivated by God's forgiveness of us. Now, one thing that helps me when it comes to this matter of forgiveness, and again, I've not mastered it. Sometimes I struggle with it. But one thing that helps me in this area is a strong belief in the sovereignty of God. So how does the sovereignty of God have anything to do with forgiving somebody else? Here's exactly how. Anything that anybody has ever done or said to you or to your family or to anybody close to you. Now this is extremely important. You listen and say amen. It was allowed by God. That doesn't mean God caused it. God didn't cause these terrible things But he allowed it. And so there's something in my life, sometimes when I've struggled with something, I have to remind myself, well, now you know God, you're sovereign, you're in control. You didn't cause it, you allowed it. You allowed it, if you allowed it, you allowed it for a good purpose, you allowed it for a good reason. And so God, I trust you're in control, I trust, and maybe it's just for me. But for me, knowing that God is in control makes it easier for me not to, not to hold too many grudges. Now, some of you here tonight are saying, John, you don't have any idea what somebody did to me when I was a child or what somebody did to my family. You know, sometimes it's harder to forgive if, it's, if something has come against our family. Sometimes it's easier to forgive if it's something was directed toward us. But if something is directed at our family, sometimes that, that's, a to- that's, that's tough. And, you know, as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, that's true. I I don't know what you might have been through. Listen to this verse in the Living Bible, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 10. Only the person involved can can know his own bitterness or joy. No one else can really share it. So you're right. I, I don't really know what you might have been through. But I'll tell you this, God knows. And tonight... Even in our invitation time, even in the privacy of where you're sitting, if you would forgive and release that, give it over to God, when you leave here tonight, you're going to find spiritual blood flowing in your body. You're going to find spiritual life because that kink, that blockage 
has been opened up and the Spirit has freedom to work. Well, again, I don't know what you've been through and how you've been hurt, but God knows. And God can help you to forgive that person who has hurt you or who has hurt your family. And it's an act of the will where you just say, God, as best as I can, I forgive this person and I release them. Just like you have forgiven me, I forgive them. I would encourage you to visit our website this week at peacebybelieving.org. That's peacebybelieving.org. And when you get on that website, find a tab that says spiritual growth. Click on that tab, scroll down, you're going to find some booklets. And one of those booklets is called Finding Freedom Through Forgiveness. Finding Freedom Through Forgiveness. And it talks specifically about how we can forgive others and even has a prayer that we can pray in forgiving and releasing those others to God. Peacebybelieving.org. Visit it this week. We'll be with you next time.